You're listening to the Dogaritaville podcast. I'm Laura. And I'm Lily. We are two dog professionals with two different styles, two different backgrounds, and two common goals. To drink delicious margaritas and talk about dogs. Welcome to Dogaritaville. Welcome to the first episode of the Dogaritaville podcast. It's important for our listeners to know a little bit about us who you're listening to, and what qualifies us to tell you about dogs and margaritas. Today we're doing host introductions and sipping on classic lime margaritas. For every episode, each of us does our best to create a delicious margarita around our theme. We post the recipes on Instagram so you can try them at home. And if you have an idea for a theme, please let us know. We'll keep you updated throughout the episode about how we're enjoying our beverages. Since this is our first episode, we're kicking off the whole podcast with a nice classic margarita. Okay, so let's go ahead and start off the podcast by just giving some quick tips to our listeners about who we are, uh, what we do with dogs, and what qualifies us to talk about margaritas on our podcast. So I'm in Las Vegas, Nevada. I was raised here. I've lived here most of my life. I own Proper Puppers, which is a training company in Las Vegas. And then I also run a nonprofit rescue called the Churchill Foundation that specializes in medical and behavioral dogs. I'm actually not a big drinker. Hopefully Lily doesn't fire me. <laughs> I feel like I drink enough for a lifetime by the time I was 22 years old, so I don't really drink anymore. But I do drink margaritas, obviously. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> when Lily and I were deployed in Houston together after Hurricane Harvey with best friends, she got me absolutely hooked on margaritas. And we used to eat at a Tex-Mex place uh, next to the hotel all the time. And they had a sangria margarita that was frozen lime margarita with sangria poured on top. And that was a 100% my gateway drug. It is still my favorite to this day. And everybody in Las Vegas thinks I am out of my mind when I ask for it at a restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have been called the matriarch of margaritas by Laura and pretty much nobody else. Um, But it has consistently been my favorite cocktail since I started drinking at the very legal age of 21. Um, The best margarita I've ever had was at Moctezuma, which is a restaurant chain in Washington. And they have this margarita on their menu that's called the Cabo 1800. It's made with coconut tequila and flame-grilled pineapple, and it is so good. So that is my favorite. And then a little bit about me. I live in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I just moved here last year from Seattle. And I'm the owner of Miss Lily's Dogs, which is a training company. And I also do Puppy Head Start for a breeder of Australian Labradoodles. I'm really on the fence about flavored tequila, but that does sound delicious. I don't love all of it because some of it can get a little, like it tastes a little fake sweet to me. Yeah. But I love the coconut. To be fair, I've never had flavored tequila, but the idea of it (laughs) gives me vibes. We really like to speak Uh, without any experience at all. So It's it's my specialty. Welcome to our podcast. (laughs) Uh, All right, so me and Lily met, I don't know how long ago, a long time ago. Like 10 years ago, (laughs) 11 years ago. That's terrifying. Uh, (laughs) We met in Seattle. I lived in Seattle for a little bit of time, and we both worked at the U Village Starbucks. Neither Mm -hmm. one of us went to University of Washington. (laughs) (laughs) I spent almost that whole decade of knowing Lily thinking that she went to the University of Washington, but... (laughs) No, I'm not smart enough for college, so. Yeah. (laughs) You and me both. Um, So, yeah, we met at Starbucks, and I honestly don't remember a lot of my time there, (laughs) probably because I was drinking pretty heavily at the time. But, yeah, I just, I know I liked you because you were one of the few people that actually did your job. Uh, (laughs) And then the only other thing I remember is your 21 run. Oh, my God. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't remember it very vividly, but I do remember you getting carried out of the bar very early on in the night. Okay. No. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, to be fair is how every 21 run should end, right? Like by 7 p.m. You're telling stories on that one. Mm -mm. (laughs) Yeah. You're just, by 7 p.m., you're too drunk to go on. I mean, that's a 21 run, right? No, actually, I specifically remember I invited one of my best friends who's Mormon, which... Oh, <laughs> come on. You know, maybe it was kind of rude, but, like, she came. She didn't have to come. And she came, and she drove me 
to our Starbucks because a rusty man couldn't come to my 21 run. So she drove me to our Starbucks <laughs> so that I could say hi to him, and then she drove me home. That's There's a lot to unpack there. All right. <laughs> what I remember from you at Starbucks is not a whole lot, but I remember being really intimidated by you, and I remember thinking that like this is a no-nonsense human being. <laughs> there's a whole lot to unpack there, too. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I just, I'm at work. I do my job. I don't know. So that is how we met. But how we really became friends was when I got my dog four years ago because I reached out to you when I was looking for a dog and I didn't know what to do. And you helped me like decide whether to rescue, what age to get and all that kind of stuff. Oh, I forgot about that part of it. I remember you messaging me a bunch when you got him, but I forgot about the like decision making part of it. Yeah, I definitely messaged you a lot more after I got him because (laughs) he was a nightmare for someone like me. At the time, I didn't know anything about dogs. I had grown up with really easy dogs. I had um, two black labs and a Newfoundland growing up, and they were all just like super eager to please, super friendly, super gentle. And Mooney is very friendly, but he was just a little bit, I don't know, much for me. He's a character. I mean, the word that I used at the time was stubborn just because I didn't know any better. He he pushed a lot of boundaries. Um, I felt like he wasn't ever listening to me. He pulled a lot on the leash. That was my really big problem with him. And so I reached out to you. Um, and I just remember that you helped me reframe everything that I knew about dogs. And like, I just had kind of like, we used a prong collar growing up on our very well-behaved dog who didn't need one. And like, we just Did didn't you? know what we I were didn't... doing. I didn't know that. We walked him on a prong collar. Our black lab, we walked him on a prong collar everywhere. We just didn't know. We used the crate as a punishment, you know, stuff like that. We were just really uninformed dog owners. And so my idea about dog ownership was just so different. And so when you introduced me to this idea of, like, this is a give and take. He needs stuff from you before you can expect anything from him. It just really changed everything. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because, like, I get messages like that all the time of, like, oh, I want to get a dog. What kind of dog should I get? And, oh, I just got a dog and I'm having these issues, blah, blah, blah. And it's usually no offense to everybody that sent me those messages, but (laughs) (laughs) literally everyone I know. It doesn't usually end well, I would say. Like, either they go completely against what I tell them they need or I tell them what they need to do and they don't do it or what have you. But so it was kind of crazy from my end to, like, have you do everything and just, like, fly with it, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, so it was it was almost like satellite sessions, kind of, not intentionally, but just, like, you would be like, hey, I'm having this problem, and I'd walk you through it, and then a week later, you'd be like, all right, this is what's working, this is what's not working, blah, 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 and it was like, oh, shit, like, she's doing what I'm telling her to do, and that's unusual for most trainers. <laughs> yeah, I've kind of found that, too, now that I that I am a dog trainer. Again, no offense to every, everyone who's ever sent me this kind of message, but like <laughs> I get messages from friends and family. And honestly, I feel like if whoever is asking the question, if they're not paying for my advice, they just don't follow it. Yeah, a hundred percent. And that's kind of why I tried to stop answering those messages. Like I don't just not answer them, but like I've learned that like I'm not going to put, because before I would put a lot of time, like, you know, when I was messaging you, I spent a ton of time on that. And yeah, I went really in depth and all this stuff. So I've definitely learned over the years to to not just give free advice to friends. <laughs> it's usually fruitless and frustrating. All right. So that's how we met. And um, yeah, so we've been in a, a long-term serious relationship <laughs> ever since then. You just, you really got to stop saying that shit. <laughs> People can hear you. I'm uh, not one for feelings or definitely not commitment. So... <laughs> Please stop. Okay, so that's a little bit about us and how we met. But we also want to talk to you guys about what our intro means. When we say we're two different trainers with two different backgrounds, two different styles, and two common goals, um, we want to talk to you a little bit about what that means. So, Laura, why don't you start? So, when I originally started training, I was uh, constantly using and advertising the term force-free because that's what I feel like I am. The Instagram people of the world definitely told me that is not at all what I am (laughs) very, very quickly and very angrily. (laughs) 
so I took force free off of all my stuff. I still feel like I am for the most part. Obviously, every dog is different. I do have a lot of clients that use prongs before I get there and I don't just show up and burn it with fire. Uh, (laughs) uh, You know, if that's what they've been using and that's what they're comfortable with, then obviously my goal is to get them off of it. But that's where I'm going to start. If they don't have any of if they can't control them in the prong, I'm not going to throw the prong away. Like, let's get them under control with what you're comfortable using and then we'll work to get them off of it. So I guess I use all tools and I don't generally recommend prong collars. I think I've recommended them once or twice when I had like an elderly person and a young, big, strong dog. So I don't recommend prongs or e-collars or anything like that generally, but I do use all tools. So if someone's using it or I see a need for it, I will use it. So whatever you want to call that. Cool. And so the place that I'm coming from is I am trying to be as positive as possible all the time. Like yeah. I, I won't use prong collars. I won't use shock collars. Um, we can't talk about it too much because this is next week's episode. Yeah. But So that's what we mean when we say we're two different trainers, two different backgrounds, two different styles, is I'm not ever going to do some of the things that Laura does. And we're going to try as much as we can on this podcast to talk about these things in a way that's keeping things pretty open perhaps changing changing our minds just being open to things okay well before we get into more detail on the episode let's talk margaritas so how did you make yours so i had illusions of grandeur and that i was gonna try to make my first blended one at home i don't have a super good blender so i wasn't expecting it to go well but then i was running super late so that's not what happened So I just did super simple. I juiced two limes, two and a half limes, Uh, did two ounces of agave. Two ounces of agave? I really like sweet. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) I was hoping that you misspoke. No, no, I did not. Uh, (laughs) And then two ounces of tequila. And I think that's it. Uh, Because I've been trying for, what, like four weeks now to buy triple sec, and I just can't get my life together so here we are um did you shake it uh yeah shake it with ice so when we decided to do this podcast I am totally that person that like went out and bought like cute margarita glasses and a juicer and a shaker and literally everything except triple sec and then I was at the liquor store a day and a half ago and I still did not buy triple sec so but you know what it ain't bad well, great. Do you put salt on the I rim? do not because I think that is absolutely disgusting and <laughs> I just, I will not do it. Uh, and the sugar is even worse. Why would you do that? What is wrong with you? Yeah, I don't like a sugared rim. But I don't like any of it. I love Ugh, a sugared rim. No. So mm-hmm. I was in uh, Montana last weekend, maybe. Uh, and the big thing there is huckleberries. That's like their shtick. Uh, and so uh, we went out to dinner and I got a huckleberry margarita, which was absolutely phenomenal. Sounds but really good. But I don't even think about salt on the rim. I just assume that they're either not going to do it or they're going to ask me, neither of which happened. Uh, and it, <laughs> and <laughs> it was a heavily salted rim and I could not taste half of my drink because all I tasted was salt and I was not happy. But the drink was delicious. I forgave them. That sounds really yeah, hard for you. I forgave them. It worked out. Well, I love salt on my rim, um, <laughs> <laughs> which yeah. sounds just a little dirty, but it's not. <laughs> um, so the classic margarita really is just like my standing overall favorite. Like that's what I make the most at home. So what I do is I juice two limes. I don't measure the juice of the lime. I use three ounces of tequila. Jesus. No, I know. Um, then I use three quarters of an ounce of triple sec and agave to taste, which for me is not two ounces. But I do find that when I make margaritas for other people, they tend to like like twice as much agave as I put in mine. Yeah, so don't so mine don't is, judge me. Miss three ounces of tequila. You're out of your damn mind. Okay, my margaritas are a little strong, <laughs> but they're delicious. Mm-hmm. So, with that said, let's go ahead and get more into the episode. So you always just have a lot going on and I can never really keep up with exactly what you're doing so tell me everything you're doing now like in the dog world so for the record we started recording this podcast about 45 minutes late uh solely because of me (laughs) solely because of me and my schedule which I mean it's a pandemic I'm nowhere near as busy as I usually am still can't get it together it's fine 
So yeah, I guess first and foremost, I am the co-founder and president of a nonprofit called the Churchill Foundation, uh, which is a rescue in Las Vegas that specializes in major medical and more so now behavioral dogs. And then I also own a training company called Proper Puppers, which does in-home behavior modification. And then I specialize in a few things like extreme fear or aggression. Uh, but lately, it seems like pretty much all my clients are leash reactivity. I would say that's probably 75% of my clients right now. And then Proper Puppers also has a program within it that is for local rescues. A lot of rescues have dogs that are stuck in boarding due to some behavioral issues. So I don't do board and trains for own dogs, but I do it for rescue dogs that would otherwise be stuck in boarding. And that program is called Proper Placements. So I've been working on that for most of the pandemic because I'm stuck at home. And then what about you? What are you doing right now? I miss leash reactivity. Oh my gosh. When I lived in Washington, that was most of my clients too. It felt like every one of my clients had that issue. And it's really fun to work with. In Michigan, things for whatever reason look look different in the dog training world, or at least where I am in Michigan. And I don't exactly know why. I haven't gotten a lot of calls for behavior mod. And so I am primarily now doing board and train for puppies starting at eight weeks. And it's super fun. I really like it a lot. And it is a lot of work, but I just really miss the challenge of doing behavior mod. Like puppies are a little more formulaic, like they kind of do exactly what you're going to expect them to do. Whereas behavior mod, it was like always something new. And I, I don't know, I just miss that kind of puzzle piece of it. Yeah, we. Uh, that's kind of the nice thing is that even though it like is a majority of my clientele, like no two cases are the same, right? So, right. I mean, I could do leash reactivity cases back to back because they're totally different. Uh, and the dogs respond totally different and you can't it's not just like puppies where it's like this is how you teach them to sit this is how you teach them whatever uh it's everything is different like yeah normally i would say do this but that's not working for this dog so we have to do something else and like i also really like aggression cases (laughs) well i like that kind of stuff too not just because it's a challenge but also because over the course of one session you can usually get somewhere like an objective measure better than like where you started and it's just kind of fun to see like to see an owner watch their dog do something that they thought their dog would never do a hundred percent so much fun I feel like it's the biggest payout too right Mm -hmm. because like you said usually in one session you get somewhere either the dog starts to like you or whatever it is I do think it's funny that you said like how different it is in Michigan because I have this running theory having always lived in cities again I'm talking about something I don't really know about but (laughs) I have this running theory that like country dogs don't have issues like city dogs Hmm. I mean dogs have issues everywhere don't get me wrong but like when you don't live in a city and you have space and you get more daily exercise because you have that space your behavioral issues are are generally much less because you just naturally get a lot more in your day-to-day life opposed to like living in a city you just have a small yard or whatever it is and I wonder if just the opportunity for being on leash is just so much more in the city because you have to walk the dog whereas out here you know the dog is getting so much enrichment at home or in the yard maybe they don't necessarily need to do things on leash and so people just aren't seeing that yeah so you've been working with dogs a lot longer than I have. Um, how long have you been working with dogs? And what made you st- like want to start working with dogs too? It is mind-blowing to say, but I've been working with dogs for about 10 years now, which is crazy to me. But yeah, I mean, I got my start uh, in Seattle at around 23, uh, and now I'm 33. So there we go, 10 years. And then I started kind of officially, albeit reluctantly, training dogs like four to five years ago. And I've just always loved dogs as far back as I can remember. I remember, I think one of my earliest memories is when I was like five years old, I begged for a dog for literally years. So I started begging at like five years old. We finally got our first dog at eight years old. (laughs) So I spent a lot of years begging. But the only kind of career path that I knew about that included dogs was veterinarian. And I am just so bad at school (laughs) like school in general I'm just not good at I'm not good at test taking I'm not good at busy work I'm not good with authority (laughs) I'm just not good at any of it but I am specifically really terrible at math and science so being a vet went out the window pretty pretty quick there (laughs) sure 
And so once that was kind of off the table, it was like, oh, well, I guess I just can't work with dogs. Right. And then I went through, you know, teenage angst and all of that. <laughs> and was just generally a bad human for a while. And then uh, when I was 23, living in Seattle, we, me and my roommates got a pit bull kind of dropped in our lap. And that was the end of it. <laughs> that was the beginning oh. and the end. So then, yeah, as far as the training world, I got kind of dragged into it, kicking and screaming by my wild child, Charlie, who about six years ago um, started just having a lot of issues and I had to hire my first trainer. And and for reference for our listeners, Charlie is a dog. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I don't have children. Yeah. I already know your whole story, but they don't. So fill them in. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah, when you said, like, you grew up loving animals, but, like, really the only career path you could think of was a vet, like, that resonates so much. It just kind of seems like when you tell people you really love animals or you really want to work with animals, their response is sort of like, oh, that might be a good hobby for you, <laughs> you know? like Right. Like, there's not, like, a career path, or at least that I had encouraged to me or explained to me or anything, but um, I just never thought of it as a possibility. So about four years ago... I got my dog, Mooney, who um, was my first dog as an adult. And like I said earlier, Laura had to help me through a lot of his um, challenges. (laughs) 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 And like when Laura started explaining dog psychology to me, it was just so different than anything I had ever assumed or learned before. But it all made so much more sense. And things just started clicking into place and I had I started to work with Mooney on my own and like just understand what to do because of the foundations that you had set and that just I really wanted to help people who were in my situation like I really love this dog but I don't know what to do like <laughs> I love my dog but I hate my life with my dog that's, that's a good quote right there <laughs> and so yeah I, I that's why I got into dog training so that's what inspired me to start learning more I got certified through canine principles as a canine coach and then started working at my local shelter just as a volunteer to walk dogs midday and get them out of their kennels. And I did a little bit of training with them to practice. And then I started being a dog walker on Rover and getting a little more practice in. And then I started working. I did a doggy daycare at my house, again, through Rover, and then eventually just started doing one-on-one training. I forgot about Rover. Yeah, I liked doing Rover. It's a really good start. I think. Yeah. I mean, I didn't have to because by the time I started doing training, I was so like ingrained in the Vegas dog world. But had I not been like, that's legit the best way to start. A hundred percent. Yeah. And make a little money while you do it. Amen. (laughs) So yeah, kind of what you said about kids resonated with me. And I don't, I feel like kids today don't have that same thing where it's like, oh, it's just vet or nothing. I mean, don't get me wrong. Most adults do not think of my career as a career. (laughs) Right. But I feel like now, like, kids understand that, like, vets are not the only way to work with animals. At least I hope they do. Well, and I think in general, just careers in general have moved away from that, like, you sit at a desk for 40 years and then start your vacation, (laughs) your first vacation ever. (laughs) Um, So, like, I feel like. Gen Z is just such a good gen. I think that they've got it all covered. So they're just exploring a lot more options, which is really great. Yeah, they know what's up. They do. Okay, so you now specialize in behavior mod and you run a rescue for special needs dogs. So how did you get there from where you started? Trial by fire, really. It just a lot of stuff kept happening and I just had to figure it out. (laughs) And I made a lot of mistakes. So yeah, I uh, after we got the Pitbull Nova kind of dropped in our lap. She is the one that helped me kind of discover rescue because I couldn't figure out why everybody kept crossing the street when we would go for walks. And I was like, what's going on? Like, I don't understand. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't, I I mean, I didn't even really know what a Pitbull was other than when I told my dad, like, hey, we got a dog. And he was like, get that thing out of your house. It's going to kill you. I mean, I had no idea. I was like, what are you talking about? It's a dog. And he's like, no, that's a pit bull. And I was like, I don't know what that means. All right. So yeah, after that, I got involved in rescue. And I think I emailed probably every rescue in Seattle and then some. (laughs) And literally nobody responded to me. (laughs) Like to get volunteer opportunities? Yeah. Yeah. To just like, hey, what can I do to help you? 
I just discovered Rescue exists, and I'm so excited. (laughs) So the only rescue that responded, I think, at all was a rescue called Salty Dog Rescue. Uh, They don't exist anymore, but they were awesome. They focused on street dogs from Taiwan. Getting a random pit bull and then starting with street dogs from Taiwan is definitely not something I would recommend to a 22, 23-year-old that doesn't have a single clue. Oh, yeah. That's like a sink or swim situation. Yeah. Yeah. It was looking back. I'm like, what? what Why? What? (laughs) So not what I would recommend. But, you know, I I dove right in and and that was the end of it. So um, I just kind of figured it out. (laughs) So uh, me and my roommates kind of broke up, for lack of a better term. And one of the other roommates was moving to Texas with a house in a yard. So she ended up taking our pit Nova because we were all staying in Seattle in tiny apartments that certainly did not allow pit bulls. So Nova uh, moved to Texas and then I was in a like high rise with no dog. So I started fostering for Salty Dog and I fostered for them for about a year. Again, I'm 22 and really dumb and living in a high rise in downtown Seattle. And I have these street dogs that are essentially feral. Which, which are allowed, but pit bulls are not allowed. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. <laughs> My well-trained eight-year-old pit bull could not come with me, but at least I could bring home random Taiwan dogs. Uh, <laughs> so after fostering for them for about a year, so the Taiwan dogs, they send you pictures of the dogs that they have. And so at this point, I was kind of, I won't say I was running the rescue, but I was, I was doing a lot of the emails and adoptions and, and really helping the couple that that ran it was awesome uh jen and amy so i got the email right away and (laughs) one of the puppies that they sent over was like bow-legged and (laughs) and like and his tongue was sticking out and his eyes are going two different directions (laughs) and me being who i am as a human being was like that's my dog like that's my dog i need him he's a misfit Um, Yeah, he was the original misfit, I guess. (laughs) So yeah, I got Peter when he was eight weeks old, and he was essentially feral. And I had a little bit of experience at that time, but I was still just real dumb. (laughs) (laughs) And so it was just a lot of like figuring it out. Because I mean, everything was terrifying to him. I mean, a car, definitely humans were the worst and still are to this day. The only thing that didn't like scare the crap out of him was other dogs. So I just had to kind of slow down and and listen and watch him and figure out kind of like what did and didn't work. I remember me and one of my best friends at the time had to come up with like a voice because you you couldn't like correct him like for potty training and stuff. You couldn't even say like, "Uh uh-uh, because he would panic. Oh, And so, yeah. So we had to come up with like a voice where it was like, hey, I need you to understand that this is not okay, but nothing bad is going to happen. Like, right. Right. Uh, so we came up with like these goofy voices where like he knew he <laughs> he wasn't supposed to do it, but like he also didn't panic. But yeah, I mean it was just him and me, and then obviously I kept fostering, so it was like him, me, and one other dog, and then I had two kittens at the time because I'm a lunatic. And, <laughs> and uh, so yeah, we I mean we just kind of got really in tune with each other, and we spent all of our time together, and just kind of the finesse of dealing with Peter. <laughs> I didn't realize it until we were like going over this episode. I was like, oh, I don't give Peter enough credit. He really taught me a lot of what I know about like communication and listening to the dog you have in front of you opposed to the dog you want to have in front of you. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, so I got Peter and then I moved back to Vegas when he was about a year and I actually got my first paying job at a no kill shelter which blew my mind. I was like, I was all in the second I found rescue, but I never in a thousand years expected to get paid for it. So yeah, then we ended up getting, after a couple years at that shelter, we had a litter of puppies and one of them ended up being super sick. The little pit puppy named Eddie. And he was just, he was a quarter of the size of all of his siblings and he would puke after he ate. And uh, he ended up having um, mega esophagus caused by a condition called PRAA or persistent right aortic arch. Our vet sent us to the specialty center and, uh, you know, he couldn't get into surgery for a couple weeks. And so, I mean, we just literally like he was so small and so skinny. We just, you know, you got to keep him alive until he can get into surgery. So that was kind of my first experience with a medical dog of like 
waking up to feed him every couple hours and feeding him upright and he lived in a baby bjorn on my chest <laughs> and it was it was crash course and then as far as training goes when peter was like a year and a half a little bit after i moved to vegas i adopted a little pitbull puppy named charlie who you will hear a lot about on this podcast because <laughs> he is a terrorist but uh, he was the best puppy and i was at that time i think i was like 25 or something and, you know, I was I was the pit bull girl, but I didn't have a pit bull. And so I really wanted to get a pit again. And I socialized him. I got him when he was like six weeks. Uh, he was bought like off Craigslist or something and then immediately surrendered. <laughs> and was was he surrendered like to your rescue? And that's how you found yeah. him? Yeah. OK. Yeah. Um, so I was fostering a little Connie Corso puppy at the time. Oh, uh, and he, be- he Yeah, really cute. And we named him Lennox because it was right when the whole Lennox thing happened. And then uh, he became best friends with Charlie. And so I, I wasn't going to take Charlie home. But then, you know, they would be playing all day. And at the end of the day, I would take Lennox home. And Charlie would just stare at me from his kennel at the shelter and be like, why does he get to go home with you? <laughs> oh. uh, so then that, that lasted like a day. And then I was like, all right, I guess Charlie can sleep here too. Because uh, I mean, they were literally just sleeping at my house and then they were at work with me all day. So it wasn't like a typical foster situation. Right. Uh, and then Lennox got adopted. And I'll never forget the day Lennox got adopted. There's like their whole family is in the lobby. And Lennox like runs right over to them. And Charlie walks over to the door to the kennel area and just looks at me like, I'm not going with them. <laughs> I'm not going with them. You're my mom. And I was like, well, I guess you adopted me. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it was uh, it was ridiculous. He's he's the only dog that's ever adopted me. I'll say that. But yeah, he was super well socialized. He came to work with me every day. He was in playgroups every day. We had a ton of dogs at the house. Uh, he used to sleep with my 17 year old cat. Uh, I wasn't into training by any means then. Like I thought training was mean. And that dogs just needed to be free. <laughs> and, uh, and, and dogs do what they want and you just spoil them. And that's that's their life. And around nine months, he started having really bad issues. I came home one day and it was just a bloody mess. There had been a dog fight while I was at home. Over the next like six months to a year, we figured out that it was Charlie that was kind of causing these issues, even though that was like our last guess. We thought we literally went through all the dogs and we were like, oh, it's obviously him. Nope, not him. Okay, it must be him. <laughs> yeah, that's like if I get if I get a training request that's like, oh my gosh, I suddenly have a completely different dog. I'm like, okay, so it's like six to nine months old. Like it's going through puberty and yeah. it's totally different dog. Yeah. But yeah, so he started having issues and uh, I hired my first trainer and we did really well for a long time. And then about a year later, he jumped one of my other dogs right in front of me. And I live alone. So, I mean, I can't break up two pit bulls trying to murder each other. Right. And I ended up in the hospital and it was a whole, it was a whole thing. But so after that, I fully separated him and really got kind of more involved in training, much to my dismay. But yeah, I mean, he was too dangerous to rehome. And so it was kind of, you know, either, either change my whole life and keep him or euthanize him. But yeah, so I just, I ended up kind of changing my whole life and creating and rotating. And that's kind of how I got my start in training and just learning about training and dog behavior and... So it really started with Peter getting that intuitive sense of how to communicate with a dog, but then continued with Charlie when you realized, oh, I actually need to set a lot of boundaries and have structure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would have two to three fosters at a time with Pete and my cats and like I didn't have crates. I didn't have anything. Right. So it was just like a house full of these random dogs that don't know each other very well and have no training. And it's just like, all right, I'm going to go to work for eight hours. See you later. Which, like, if you had a client that told you that, you'd be like, oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I was not a very intelligent person. (laughs) Not a very informed person. How about that? Yeah. Okay. We'll say that. So, yeah, you got your dog training started uh, with Mooney. So I know you said you miss kind of behavior mod, but how did you kind of end up doing mostly obedience now? Well, mostly what I said earlier, just the climate for dog training out here is just different. In Seattle, I I really had to do no marketing at all. And I had clients calling me all the time 
um, just from Googling. Um, but out here, I feel like maybe nobody's Googling that. I don't know. <laughs> so I just, <laughs> I don't have anyone reaching out for Behavior Mod. I had a couple people reach out, but it was so funny because my first client out here in Grand Rapids actually just randomly followed my Facebook page when I was living in Seattle, not knowing that I was moving to Grand Rapids. And so when I moved out here, she was like, okay, well, since you're here, let's do a session. Um, and that was super fun. And then I got a couple other clients just word of mouth from my brother and sister-in-law who live out here, but just no one really needed this ongoing behavior mod training. Um, and so my brother and sister-in-law adopted an Australian Labradoodle from a local breeder. And when they first adopted him, I was like, you're getting a doodle. Are you kidding me? Like, I'm I'm from the world of behavior mods. So, like, the only doodles I've ever met have been insane. Like, just completely unbalanced. And so I was like, please, <laughs> please don't get a doodle. But, like, little did I know, this breeder is actually really great. She breeds Australian Labradoodles who are apparently trying to get AKC accreditation and stuff. And her dogs are super stable, super great. And they ended up dropping my name to her, this breeder who bred their dog. And she reached out to me and asked if I wanted to do Puppy Head Start, which is a board and train for her puppies starting at eight weeks old so that they just get kind of a good foundation for training before they go home to their owners. Was this like a program that she did previously with other trainers or it was just a program that she wanted to start and like you just seemed like the right person for it? Or like how did that get started? At the time that she had heard my name from my brother and sister-in-law, she had been doing Puppy Head Start herself. Um, I think she's only been breeding for a couple years, like two or three years. That sounds like so much work for her, though, to do both sides of it. Right. Well, and I think that at the time, she had fewer breeding dogs. Yeah. And so I think that she had less on her plate, still a lot, but less. And now it's, yeah. you know, she's having litters every couple of weeks, and she just literally doesn't have the time, but her clients still ask her if she can do it. And so she was just looking for someone to take over. So I was yeah. sort of in the right place at the right time. Um, and we did mesh really well. She reached out to me and asked me some questions about my methods and um, my beliefs about training and stuff. And so it seemed kind of sort of like a little tiny interview over Instagram DM. Um, <laughs> and, and she just loved what I had to say. I sent her a few training videos of mine and we just work really well together. We have really similar methods. So, And I do have a certification in canine coaching, which is basically obedience training. It just worked out and now I play with puppies I teach them how to sit and I never ever ever sleep I don't know how you do it man I I don't I just sleep is like the one thing in life that I truly love besides dogs obviously <laughs> like I just I will not give up my sleep for anyone I have a question okay <laughs> and mostly you just accidentally hit on one of my like super big pet peeves okay you said they adopted their Australian Labradoodle <laughs> Yeah. And I see this all the time. Uh -huh. like, why Why are people saying that they adopted a dog they bought? Like, to me, to me, adopting a dog is a rescue dog, a shelter dog, whatever. Like, other, if you're getting it from a breeder, you're buying a dog. You're not adopting a dog. But these days, I feel like everybody that buys a dog says they adopted their dog. The word that I would think of for what you're saying is, like, rescue. Like, this is my rescue dog, or I rescued this dog, or whatever. Oh, um, but okay. like you're always adopting a dog when you get a dog, you know, you're adopting him from whatever home they were in Are before. We? Yeah, totally. I guess. I've never asked anyone. Everybody always says it. And every time people say it, I'm like, oh, <laughs> so I, I mean, I guess that makes sense. Listeners, we have a future episode where we will be talking about <laughs> rescue and breeding. And I'm really excited for that day. Today is not the day. Yeah, I'm not anti-breeder at all. It's just that's a big pet peeve of mine of like, to me, adoption is just rescuing. Uh, but that does make, now that you've explained it, that does make a little bit more sense, but I still disagree. <laughs> <laughs> so we've talked about our past and we've talked about what we're doing now. So let's look into the future a little bit. Um, do you have any plans for your future with dog training or working with dogs at all? I mean, I'm obviously a pretty driven person. I do a lot of things. I get a lot of things done. But at the same time, I'm also real flighty. <laughs> I don't really deal with details or the future or plans in any way. So I'm trying really hard to get better about that because it's essential, apparently. For any of our listeners who are familiar with the Enneagram, oh, <laughs> Laura God. and I are both Enneagram. <laughs> We're both 
eights with a seven <laughs> wing. So like we need to control everything, but also we always need to be doing something different. So that's super fun. Also, if any one of our listeners has any clue what she's talking about, please let me know because I feel like nobody understands. Okay, it's a thing. I know a thing. it's a thing, but like I've never <laughs> heard of it. I've never met anybody else that's heard of it. I like it. I'm just saying, if any of our listeners know what okay. she's talking about, you have to let me know because I have a running theory that yeah. nobody knows. <laughs> okay, send us a DM and yeah. let us know if you know what the Enneagram is. <laughs> I bet you they don't. So yeah, I uh, I went to a HSUS kind of seminar recently that was like, if you don't have a three to five year plan for your organization, like, what the hell are you doing? And I was like, oh, damn it. <laughs> So I don't have plans for either my nonprofit or my business, and I'm trying to uh, get my shit together. And then for training, I'm working on figuring out what sort of certification I want to get. Right now, I'm not certified at all. I have a lot of feelings about certification. That's why I haven't done it yet. I've been putting it off for a long time, and they're all expensive. And I could argue that they're all useless. I don't believe that, but I'm just saying I could argue it. So I'm going to try to figure out kind of which one I want uh, and really make myself do it. But like I said before, I'm not really good at school, so we'll see. (laughs) I also really want to learn how to use training collars or shock collars or e-collars or whatever you want to. I've lost track of what offends and doesn't offend people when you call them something. I think all the people that use them. I don't think it's what you call them that offends people. I think uh, it's what they are. (laughs) No, no. I swear to you it is. Like if you're talking to an aversive trainer, which is what I call them. I don't know what other people call them. If you're talking to an aversive trainer and you say shock caller, like they legitimately get offended. They're like, we're not. People shouldn't know that we're shocking our dogs. (laughs) Call it something different. So, yeah. So I think... I was told to call them training collars. So I really want to learn how to use training collars or e-collars, shock collars, whatever you want to call them. I know that's going to piss a lot of people off, but I just want to know how they work. I can't say that I would incorporate them in any of my training or that I would use that. I can almost guarantee you I wouldn't use them for clients, uh, whether or not I choose to use them with my own dogs. I don't know. I geek out on stuff like that. So even if like I don't necessarily like it and I don't plan on using it, I just kind of want to know like the method behind the people that do use it, I guess. So yeah, I want to get certified and learn how to use e-collars. Yeah, I'm also interested in certification. So I'd really like to get something that people actually recognize because I feel like that just opens a little bit, some more doors. Um, So I'm looking to get my CPDT. (laughs) Um, the knowledge assessed one and I feel like currently I do have the knowledge to pass that and get it but I have not had the money to pass that and get it up until this point Um, so I think that I'm going to try to do that in the spring and I'm also really hoping to get back into behavior mod somehow but I also really like working with the puppies so I'm hoping that that job also continues but I just feel totally like incomplete without doing behavior mod I get giddy every time someone messages me (laughs) on Facebook, like, I'm having this problem with my dog. Or uh, I, like, practically begged my brother to let me work with his leash reactive dog for free just because (laughs) I miss it. Like, that's where I'm at right now. (laughs) So those are my plans for the future. Okay, so let's do a margarita check. It looks like you're pretty much done with yours. Yeah, mine was delicious, and it is gone now. (laughs) Mine too. Yeah, mine was also delicious. I feel like I should have left some ice in it. I, I usually shake it with ice and then strain it. Oh, really? But I drank it over kind of like, I drank it over like an hour. So it's a little bit warm now. All right. So we've talked a lot about dogs. Uh, we're pretty much always talking about dogs. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do outside of dogs? Uh, because I've known you 10 years and had no idea that you rock climbed. Like, <laughs> at all. <laughs> Well, so yeah, basically I've always wanted to, and I have taken a couple of classes in the past, but I have always felt like too fat to do it. And (laughs) like, this is like a real story like that. I just really felt that way. And so when I turned 30, I guess this was three months before I turned 30, but I was looking toward my 30th birthday and I was just thinking about my twenties and thinking like, wow, I really put a lot of things on hold because I didn't feel good about my body. And 
my body is only getting bigger. So I kind of like need to start <laughs> like living my life at this point. And, well, welcome to your 30s. Right. And so um, that that's kind of how I started rock climbing. And I'm part of an organization on the board of an organization called All in Beta, which is a rock climbers organization whose mantra is climbing is for everyone. And I got involved in that because I'm a big body on the rock climbing wall and that's unusual. So anyway, I don't know if we have any listeners who are interested in that, but you can find All in Beta on Instagram. I'm looking them up right now. (laughs) I also really enjoy playing video games, specifically Zelda, and I'm currently playing Breath of the Wild for the last, I don't know, like four years straight or however long it's been since it came out. (laughs) So that's what I do outside of dogs. And I don't know how you possibly have time for anything except for dogs, but do you like what else do you do i don't uh (laughs) i don't i don't have time for anything i think that's why i like sleep so much because i don't have a choice and i have to do it so at least it's something i get to do (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i recently so the pandemic started on like march 15th right Uh, it started on march 11th which is my 30th birthday (laughs) oh you're the devil yeah i guess so So whatever day it started, either a couple days before or a couple days after, I want to say a couple days before, I closed on my new house. I didn't buy it. My friend bought it, but I live in it. So, (laughs) But so we closed on this new house like two days before the pandemic. (laughs) And it is a giant (laughs) fixer-upper. So needless to say, it didn't go as planned. I spend pretty much all my free time painting it and... (laughs) And just, so yeah, I do a lot of just fixing up my new house and figuring out how to texture walls, how to take walls down, (laughs) trying to talk my friends into coming to paint my house for me because I hate (laughs) painting. But yeah, that's probably my biggest project right now. And then also I've discovered some, some benefits of the pandemic just because I'm a super workaholic and that's all I ever did. But so now I've gotten back into reading. So before Starbucks, I worked at Barnes and Noble for like eight years or something crazy yeah oh my god uh yeah uh so i used to be a super big book nerd uh but then i became a dog nerd and i just couldn't do both so (laughs) (laughs) so i got back into reading and so now i read like a book a day (laughs) uh so yeah reading and fixing up my house i guess i do miss traveling although i feel like i've done a little bit of it responsibly so yeah, I've been going to uh, Montana a lot. My brother just bought a house there. And so I was just there last week and I learned how to kayak for the first time. Oh, I love kayaking. Which it is the greatest thing in life it and I want to do it forever. <laughs> I want to do it all the time now. <laughs> uh, all right. So before we finish up, let's. Uh, what's one thing that you want our listeners to know about you? Well, one thing that I always want people to know about me is that I'm just trying my very hardest. <laughs> she, she really I is. Am. She really I is. I want to do the best job possible in every area. I'm always trying to do the best that I can. I'm always trying to improve. And so while I am very opinionated and I do speak very strongly and you will likely hear that on this podcast, I'm also super ready to change my mind if I'm presented with better ideas or better information. So don't be afraid to give us feedback because I just... I'm really trying my hardest. I just want to do the best. (laughs) I mean, that's literally everything that I would have said about you. It's like she works really hard and she like stands up for all her shit, but she's also completely willing to entertain other ideas. So what I think our listeners should know about you is that you have a tattoo for almost every dog who's had an impact on you. And I just think that that's really cool. And it shows how dedicated you are to the work that you do. Yeah, you're not the first person to bring that up, and I literally never think about it. Like, I love my tattoos. I'm super into tattoos, but, like, I don't think about it in that way. Some lady with a magazine approached me a few years ago about, like, doing an interview with me about my tattoos and what they all mean, and I was like, I didn't do it, but... Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. You and I are so different. I would have been like, oh, attention. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 100%. Any, <laughs> any sort of attention, and I'm automatically like, no, I will be leaving immediately. <laughs> Which is why you've started a podcast, of course. Yeah, this this podcast, like I've wanted to do it. I can do the podcast because it doesn't include the camera. And in my mind, no one is listening to it. <laughs> <laughs> 
So as long as I convince myself that nobody's listening to it, I can do it. All right. If we have listeners, don't tell us that you're listening. (laughs) No, no. Tell us, but just tell us online and don't ever bring it up in person. (laughs) Okay. So is there... Is there anything that you want our listeners to know about you? Yeah, I think I have a really big complex about people understanding that like I am actually a good person and a nice person because I don't ever come off that way. (laughs) But yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm always trying to be a better person and be a nicer person because being nice is really hard for me, which sounds really dickish but it legitimately is hard for me (laughs) just because I have like a lot of social anxiety and stuff so it's easier for me to just like not talk to people or or avoid people and that's obviously super rude (laughs) well no you know I think that that's kind of where um niceness is confused with politeness you know and like you're not polite for its own sake but like who cares you know that doesn't make you not a nice person Okay, let's do a final margarita check. So we, we've we both already said we're out of our margaritas, and neither of us took a break to make any more. But is there anything that you would do differently with yours next time? I really want to get off my ass and buy triple sec. Yes. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I don't know what that tastes like, and I need to, I need to find out. But yeah, so I need to get triple sec, and then... I'm really tempted by this flavored tequila business, so I kind of want to try that too. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely have a theme where that will be appropriate in the future. I am a seasoned pro at making the classic margarita, so there's nothing that I would really do differently besides adding some ice to it. But in the future, hopefully the segment will be a lot more interesting because we're planning to do some cool flavors. All right. So I guess we'll end with where you can find us i can be found at proper puppers lv on instagram uh and then my website is also just properpupperslv.com. uh where can they find you lily you can find me on instagram at miss lily's dogs um you can also find my training website which is misslilysdogs.com and i also have a patreon which i would love it if you looked at and my patreon is just patreon.com slash miss lily's dogs and my name is l-i-l-l-y and the patreon is like an online learning format yeah so the lowest tier is like you you get to be on my close friends list on instagram and and watch my uh my life with the puppies oh, so it's just okay. basically a cute factor that's like three dollars a month but yeah the the higher tiers have training elements nice. to them cool so i think that about wraps it up episode one is ready to be let out of the kennel and on our next episode <laughs> oh that's funny i was wondering if you saw that i did in not our... <laughs> okay. so i just came out and surprised laura with that oh, one we're gonna be saying that every time i like it <laughs> all right episode one is ready to be let out of the kennel on our next episode we will be drinking pineapple themed margaritas and talking about training methods, positive, aversive, balanced, what it all means, how we feel about it, next time on the Dogaritaville podcast. Thanks for listening to Dogaritaville. Send us an email at dogaritaville at gmail.com. Or send us a DM on Instagram at dogaritaville. And let us know if there are any topics you'd like to see covered. Or if there are any margaritas you want us to try. And don't forget to leave us a review. Until next time, give your dog a treat from us. <laughs>